All right, welcome to the next edition of Just About Boxing, Jab University. Uh, today we're talking coach to coach. Jab University is brought to you by I Build Texas. Check out our sister podcast, Jimmy's World. Both shows available on all podcast platforms. Today's guest is Coach Edwin Rosario. What's up, Coach? What's going on, Terry? How you been? Man, I've been. Yeah, so uh, so you out in Jersey now, South Jersey? Yeah, I'm out down in South Jersey, about a few minutes from Philadelphia. All right, so Camden is where you at? Um, uh, Yeah, in the neighborhood. In the neighborhood? And so you and your brother got a new gym, New Legends Boxing. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about how, how you got that going. Well, I mean, uh, it, it came together because I moved down here, you know, because we're all in the past together for quite a bit. And then the opportunity came where, you know, for me to move back down here. Uh, little did I know that a pandemic was about to start, but, you know, it is what it is. We uh, a few months after the pandemic ha- happened, we decided that we wanted to start a gym anyway. So uh, Nick found a place, and then uh, we little by little we built it up in a month. You know, we started with basic, just a ring and the heavy bags, and then uh, people started trickling in. You know, of course we couldn't compete for a little while, but six by six months of training, and uh, now we're starting to pick it up little by little. Professionals are hanging in there. Fighting on, uh, it was really limited fighting on TV here and there, but we got it in. And now that the pandemic is starting to lift a little bit, a lot of stuff is starting to open up. Uh, A lot of shows and a lot of cars are being planned. So we're ready. Yeah, uh, it must feel good to be back home away from the desert. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you and your brother are both trainers, both work with some high profile names. You're working with Antonio Escalante and your brother was working with uh Tevin Farmer and some others. You got a little brother that's a professional boxer too. Um uh you ever notice any difference between the two boxing scenes when you was out in Texas versus now you're back in the East Coast? Yeah, I mean uh of course when we're over there in, in Texas we we use the the mountains and the canyons and all that stuff like that. And we alternated between sparring and, and a lot of strength and conditioning and stuff like that. Uh, some of the trainers over here, when the gyms I've been in, there's been more, you know, a lot more attention to pad work and bags, bag work and floor work and stuff like that. And uh, they're more uh, hands-on, uh, stylistically detailed more than, than it is a physical workload like we would do on the you know. In California, there was a little more like that too. You see a lot of people doing a lot more uh, strength and conditioning, body, like plyometric work and stuff like that. And he has sparring and fiber. But over here, it's more, you know, they, it's more detailed. Like they want you to be more, you know, hands, hands up, chin down, elbows in. A lot more technical side over here on this side and physically more over there on that side. And, um, you guys work with other coaches too. Cause I know, uh, I will, I know your brother, they, when they work with farmer, they work as a team. I think it's coach Anthony and a yeah. couple others. And then I've seen the team aspect here too. When I think Crawford came to camp, he's got like three coaches. It's red it's Bo Mac. I think Bo Mac's the head coach reds there. And then, uh, I keep forgetting his name, little Hispanic guy. How's it, uh, 
have you noticed a difference in working with teams like that or how's that? Yeah, it just, it just depends on the, on the, on the actual fighters because, you know, and I'm working with, with, with Tevin Farmer, you know, he had coach Anthony, Rashim Jefferson, uh, Chino Rivas, of course my brother. And then to add another, you know, me to the mix of that, I guess it was, uh, I, I don't know. I, I came into a weird situation because he had just came off a, a loss to Jojo Diaz, but you know they're still trying to keep that aspect of it. It's molded and changed a little bit, and some people left the scene. You know, other people are sticking around. But of course, you know, Tevin Farmer, he's uh, you know, uh, this business side of the boxing is is, is uh, I guess we're trying to play the waiting game and see what happens with his career and where he's going next. But he's still in the gym working and stuff like that. But, you know, it's an aspect that I, I, I've had a little taste of, but not uh, on this level where it's, you know, multiple trainers like that. So everybody's, I guess, tries to put in their little part. And then you have other guys that are prospects like Steven Ortiz. He won't have as many people, as many trainers with him, maybe like just, you know, three of us rather than five people. So it just, you know, it depends on the guys. And uh, when you got a team that big, is communication important? Do you guys talk? If Like, I worked on this today, you know, do what you yeah, do with just, it. It's just a game plan. Like, you know, uh, I guess everybody's, it's like a round table and everybody kind of like pulls them, picks the different things. Like, well, we should work on this a little bit, work on that a little bit. Of course, I mean, I haven't been in camp with them per se yet. We've worked, but it's not in a camp style where now we have an opponent in front of us you know, to make an adjust, adjustment for. So right now it's just, uh, you know, poking and prodding of seeing how everything works for me. And when you're in a camp style, you guys, I think now you got the benefit of a lot of film. Uh, yeah. Is film a big part of camp for you? Do you make the fighter watch film, or is it just you watching film? Yeah, I mean, I do most of the watching, like when I, you know, when I was working with Escalante and stuff like that. I did a lot of film work because I want to be, I guess, work on a focus of, of things. Like if the guy's dropping his left hand a lot, I want to make sure I take advantage of that, you know, in an exchange. Or if the guy's, you know, working in the pocket a lot. I don't want to take advantage of that situation and work on, on that. So I, I like I try to pick and poke at the holes of the other fighters, and then focus on that for camp. And so when you're watching film, say you're breaking down film, do you do round by round? Do you watch the whole film once and then go back and pick out the rounds, or you just kind of look at the obvious? How you break down yeah. film? I think when I when I look at film, I break it down by what he does well, and then I watch the fight and pick at what he does well. Then I watch it again and figure out where his faults are and pick at the holes there. Then I watch it again and then watch the other guy to see where he had took advantage of those, those situations. So that's a, that's basically how I watch them. There's a little, little layers I like to pick and poke at. And so, so you work with these high-level fighters, you work these mid-level fighters, you work with amateurs, because I've worked in the corner with you with amateurs and pros or the Redarte twins and stuff like that. Yeah. Is there a big difference in how you run training between it, between a, an amateur, whether it be an elite-level fighter and a pro, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, when you work with amateurs, you have to baby spoon their baby feet, you know, feed them like little bits of pieces, but you can't get into a whole lot of uh, how to set things up because they won't understand that level. All you can kind of do is, you know, take advantage of, you know, getting them the best basic possible form they can get, like hands up, you know, stuff like that. Get them in good condition. Uh, like some uh, there's guys that won't go in there with just the one-two, basically. And I started guys, if they had a real good one-two and had good defense, I felt like that was good enough, you know, to start. You know, because they're not getting in there with Manny Pacquiao, so there's no need to get them to do a whole lot of different things. But, you know, if they can get there and defend themselves and then use that one-two effectively, so we can build from there. I like to build them up, you know, if they can defend themselves. So the defense is a, is a big part of it when you're training amateurs. When you're training professionals, it's a different story because, you know, now you don't know what kind of opponent you're coming in. So if it was a high-level guy, now you got to look out. This guy has a number of wins that you have to break down. He has a number of losses that you have to break down. So now, you know, there's a lot more levels to it than it is when you're training amateurs. And then when you – Yeah. uh, So when you work in with – these i've seen you with different types of fighter escalante is one type of fighter hispanic fighter in your face body puncher now you, you're in there with some farmer and most of these east coast guys a little bit more skilled or setting traps you know right what do you look for in a fighter to take them to the next level because you did have escalante at number one in the world at one point in time now you're working with a former world champion uh, like, what are you looking for? Is it a physical attribute? Is it a mental fortitude? Is it high ring IQ? What are you looking for? Or do you just take whatever he's good at and try to work with what you got? I think that's uh, what you hit the head on the nail on the head with that last part because uh, Tevin Farmer, he's a slick counter puncher, and uh, it's like, uh, and I, I don't, I don't, not to pick and poke Austin Trout, but he was kind of a similar style. And then uh, when he got in there with Laura, for some reason, he wanted to come forward and, and try to, you know, instead of being the counterpuncher that he is, he starts coming forward and he's getting picked and poked apart. So uh, if I was, you know, work, working with Farmer, I just told him he's got to do what you normally do just at the highest level that you can do it. So that wouldn't really change what he was doing, just, you know, try to make it the best he can be. So, you know, working from the center of the ring, you know, moving around, moving his head, getting guys to come in, pick them apart, you know, step out. You know, just, just basically the best boxer he can be. He's, he's got some pop. I mean, a lot of people don't know that, that if I can teach him how to sit on those punches and, and then still maintain that boxing ability, you know, that, that's uh, another level he can he can step up to. And then so where you game planning for – we don't know what Farmer has coming up next or when you were working with Escalante and those guys, when you're game planning, is your game plan round by round? You know, I know some people talk about dropping rounds as just part of a game plan. Is it the big picture? Like, how do you game plan for a fight? That's the part of the, the big picture, I think, is what it, what it is. I mean, you could win round by round, but if you can't, have a start and an end point. I don't think you get probably get lost at some point from here to there. So, I mean, like, uh, 
like when we fought Cornelius Locke, you know, I noticed that he moved around a lot, and he was just a strict boxer, so he was going to use his legs for as long as you could let him. So I wanted to hit the body early so that way we can kind of, you know, take those legs away from him and then, you know, start banging him upstairs a little later in the fight. So he, so Locke still moved around a little bit to his credit, but, you know, we dropped him about four or five times in between on track of that. So, you know, and I tried to do the same thing we fight we fought Roman because he was just a come-in-your-face fighter. So I wanted Tony to bang to the body so we can kind of take some of that, you know, power away from him so that he's not dangerous to the whole fight. So, and then, you know, when you go back and watch the film, you feel like he didn't go enough, but he did go to the body a lot, which I think kind of set up uh, shots in his head later, later on. But, you know, we tried to wear him down. Uh, I guess it's just fight. It's fight by fight, fighter by fighter, opponent by opponent, because everybody comes different. You can't always have the same game plan for the next guy. Everybody has their, um, you know, good aspects and bad aspects. And so, talking about Escalante and Mickey Ramon. Escalante wins the fight. Both careers take two different turns. You know what I mean? career trajectory um what leads to something like that one goes one way one goes the other way you know even though one of them won that fight the other one clearly lost that fight what leads to something like that where this guy goes on the beat salido and this one becomes like a perennial opponent yeah a lot of people they they don't realize how far roman goes back like he was still, he's still ranked in the top ten, I believe, like until the, uh, I don't know, right to this day, but not six months to a year ago, he was still, he's still ranked in the top three, top four guy. So uh, as far as the trajectory in their careers, I think it was just a disconnect somewhere at some point where there was a manager that came in, and uh, he he didn't really have a grasp on where our career was at at the moment and where we wanted to go. So, uh, rather than, you know, take a few more fights to get where we wanted to go, you know, we started fighting guys that were difficult. And Roman was the beginning of that because I didn't want to fight Roman at the time because, you know, I knew what kind of caliber fighter Roman was. And for the, the, the where we were and the, the career and the money he was making, I felt like it really wasn't worth that type of F, that type of uh, fight that it turned out to be because I already knew what kind of fight it was going to be and I didn't want that at that point in my career. But uh, you know, it's just uh, the manager, you know, and then uh, him wanting to have a, another trainer come in, which I respect Louis Burke when he came in to to to, ha- to handle that, but. It's got to be a two-way street between trainer and fighter. And Tony wasn't really uh, meeting the expectation that Louis Burke asked of him. So it really wasn't uh, a good matchup on Tony's side. Uh, and Louis Burke probably, he probably didn't feel like that at the moment. But, you know, uh, behind the scenes, it was, you know, real, Tony wasn't really satisfied with that. So he really didn't give his best effort, I felt, going into those fights. And I came in to try to respect Louis Burke as much as I could. I mean, and, and, and ask, do what he asked of me as a part of a, you know, that team concept we were talking about earlier. So I 
but you know, when the fighter doesn't really want to give 100% effort on what the game plan is, of course, you're going to have a bad result. So I don't feel like he gave 100% in those camps where, you know, uh, after the, the Roman fight where his, ter- his career took a turn. Because, you know, he not only did he go to Louis Burke, but he also went to Ronnie Shields, which that wasn't a good, that wasn't a good fit for him either. So it was just, he kind of got lost in the sauce, basically. He didn't yeah. know what his identity was anymore. You know, so, yeah, so, he was the first knockout when he went to train with Ronnie Shields. Got yeah, he did lose. Year. Yeah, right away. Um, so you said a new manager came in, had an yeah. idea of where he wanted to go, but kind of had no idea where you at, where you guys were at as a team, and where you guys wanted to go. Right. Is it traditional? Um, oh, hold on, my mic. Is it traditional for the manager to have communication with the trainer or is the manager just talking directly to the fighter? How yeah, is that I working think, out? Like I think I tried to uh, have a communication with the, when the manager came in because um, as a trainer, your job is to, to you know, not to look, to look for matches, but, you know, to do the best with, with the match that you get, that you have. So, you know, until that manager came in, I was the manager. So I called, you know, they tell me the opponent and we had the option to say no or yes. So, you know, a lot of times we got a decent opponent, but at the time when this manager came in, it was like, all right, well, we're going to go after this guy. I'm like, man, I'm like they'll have a list for you. I, you know, emails and phone calls where I'm trying to get them to move some more in a different direction. But, you know, by that time it was, kind of like uh, I took a back seat to that decision-making process and uh, just, you know, did train the best I could, especially for the, for the Ramon fight. All right. So we'll talk about camp, uh, camp life now. So when you're planning a camp, how long do you like to have a camp for? Uh, like it depends. Like I try to break it down according to how long we're going to, like if I, it's a four round, a fight or I train for like six or eight rounds. So then I'd have like four or six weeks. And then if like 10 and 12, I want to have uh, at least eight weeks, nine weeks to be able to, you know, hit, reach a, a crescendo or like a point, you know, that we can t- start tapering off at the end a little bit. So, and, you know, that thing has to be directed at, at a goal. So. And when you're running a camp so you periodize a camp is it the first few weeks we're just conditioning or just working on skills last few weeks we're working on game plan like how do you start and how do you end the camp where sparring fit into all that so right now right now i just started a camp with uh uh, two four-round fighters one's making his pro debut another oh and two so uh, I'm trying to introduce them to camp the way that I do it rather than, you know, some of the camps that I've seen here where it's just kind of, uh, you know, day in, day out, same routine over and over again. Uh, jump rope, shadow box, hit the bag, hit the mitts. Jump rope, shadow box, hit the bag, hit the mitts. So what, what, what I do is the first, you know, if I do it, like right now I'm doing a four round, so I'm trying to introduce them into a six-week camp. So the first week and a half, we're just doing uh, a little bit of boxing, maybe like four rounds in the bag, four rounds in the mids. 
you know, two on the double end bag, and then we'll get into the strength, um, the bulk of the day is going to be strength and condition. So uh, I do that for about a week and a half and then start taking away the strength and condition, shrinking it down and doing more boxing. So, the, you know, the following week we'll be up, moving up to six bags, six rounds and then on the bags and the mids and stuff like that. And then, you know, doing a small uh, strength and conditioning at the end. So I like to uh, get my boxing in first. That way everything is fresh. They feel their bodies, keep their, you know, chin tucked in, elbows in. And then, you know, that way, when they get into doing their physical work, you know, there's, it's just concentrated on that. So, you know, if, I feel like if you do it beforehand, by the time you do boxing at the end, it's like sluggish. You know, you're not going to get the most out of, you know, how you're supposed to feel when you're moving around and stuff like that. So, you know, uh, it's getting pretty good. You know, they seem motivated. And, you know, and then get introduced sparring like in the, in the third week or second and a half week and build up, you know, starting at four rounds and then uh, have like a, a strength and conditioning built into the sparring. So when it starts, you know, getting more into boxing, the strength and conditioning will disappear a little bit, you know, take it away little by little until we get to the rounds that we need to work and then, uh, then start tapering off of that. And what is your feel on these, I guess, guns for hire as strength and conditioning coaches? I know what about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, they came in to the forefront. You had uh, Tre- uh, Alex Ariza, and then you had, I keep calling him Trevor Ariza, and everybody's like, you talking about the basketball player? No, Alex Ariza. Uh, then you had, uh, they got the guy Memo, then you got Vic Conti. Yeah. Then you got, you know, uh, well, Mackie Shieldstone was probably around before all of them. Yeah, what, Jones and all those guys, yeah. Yeah, like, what is your feel on some of these strength and conditioning? You got a lot of lesser-known ones, too, but what is your feel on, on these guys? I think, like, if, uh, they can, if they've been around the sport long enough to understand what is needed to be, uh, you know, at the top of their game, then they can – build on top of that but I think a lot of these guys they probably go to school you know get a look at what boxing is about but they don't understand like uh in a 12 round fight you know you have to be able to be as just as strong and just as conditioned in the last few rounds that you are at the beginning of the round so that's you know it's uh an ebb and flow in the training that's supposed to transfer transfer over the ebb and flow in a fight so you got these guys that come in and they're you know doing a lot of heavy lifting and you know bulking these guys up you know like Roy Jones when he was a Mackie Shieldstone he was trying to go up he put a lot of weight on which you know he, he was able to to manage that at a heavy weight but then when he came back down it was like all that natural muscle that he had was gone and he was just left with you know like the just his broke down muscles, just losing weight. And then, you know, his physicality kind of disappeared with him. And then, uh, you know, I think uh, if, if, if they can transition well into understanding what boxing is about, what boxing training is, and not have something separate, then it'll probably work all right. But, you know, some of these guys haven't got to understand it yet. And so, when, say a guy comes to you and says, hey, coach, I want you to train me 
what is the most important attribute that guy's supposed to have? Is it hard? Is it just what he has in here? Is it what I like to call coachability, um, physicality? Like, what is, like, the, the best attribute to just show up with? Say he ain't got no fights or anything like that. Just what is the best attribute for the a boxer to just show up with? I think just the determination. Like, somebody comes in there, they don't have any athletic ability. They don't, you know, necessarily have an understanding of the sport. But if they come in with, like, you know, like a sponge, like just, you know, teach me whatever it is that you want to teach me today and then run with it and then, you know, give 100%, you know, determination to, to get to where they need to get to. I think that's the most important thing. I have guys that come with it. They, they've, never, they've never seen anybody get punched in the face before, but they want to, you know, they want to come into the gym and say, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, then... <laughs> They come in there and they hit the bag, you know, day in and day out. You know, you start working with them a little bit. They show up every day, you know. I can not, I can not want to show them something, you know. I think those guys are the best. They come in and they just, you know, want to give it a hundred percent. So let's dig into your experience coaching. What point? Like at a at a fight you guys won or or you were just in a gym one day and you'd be like, Man, I wanna coach. I think uh I didn't I didn't so I, the, when I first started I was working with uh, I was in the army. So they had like these brigade smokers where they got a couple guys together and they would put them together in a boxing ring, USA sanctioned. So I think the first time that I realized that I wanted to coach was uh, because I couldn't compete myself. I already had, couldn't have more than five or six fights to compete at that level. And, uh, and so I had already had more than that. So I, I, I said, oh, I want to stick around and, and see if I can help these guys a little bit. So, but I really didn't have like a, uh, I guess a, a need to coach at the moment. And then, uh, I guess I was just going through the motion, and then there was this one kid, and he was getting ready to go and compete, and I had been working with him a little bit. And I saw the other guy come in, and this little short, stocky guy is banging his gloves together. So I already knew he was going to come in and start wailing on my guy. So I told him, look, I said, this guy's going to come in. He's going to throw about five or six punches, and then he's going to step back and take a breath. So when he steps back, he's Fire the one-two down the middle, follow him out. So at clockwork, that guy came in and just started, you know, throwing about a million hooks. And then he got tired, so he took a step back, and boom, boom, this guy did exactly what I said, just a simple one-two, and put the guy down. So this, and then uh, that, I never didn't know what's going to I mean, if I had an uh, inkling that it was going to happen like that, but when it happened exactly like I thought it was going to happen, I said, wait a minute. I said, exactly like I thought it was going to happen, but maybe I'm supposed to be doing this. So, you know, I started continuing there working with uh, soldiers, and then I started working with amateurs, and then eventually professionals. And then when you got to the pros, and was it just a different ball game? Like, oh, man, uh, this they getting paid for this. We got to get this one right. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I, when we first stepped, when I first stepped into a, a pro ring as a coach, you know, I competed as an amateur. You take punches and stuff like that. 
when you step into a pro ring, it's a little different feel. Because now it's it's more uh, more attention. It's just like more uh, a little more anxiety, I guess. Because you know everything is smaller gloves, there's no headgear, and uh, you know it, it, it's it's definitely a different feeling, more more eerie. Like I hope this guy does well, and uh, you know that that feeling of the small gloves. I think that there's just no feeling like it when you step in that pro. You feel these guys' gloves and they're taping up and everything like that. Everybody's adrenaline is running. You know, when you're amateur, it's running a little bit, but not like the pros. It's, it's a different feeling. And uh, what fight in your coaching career were you like, man, this fight is hard? <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, man, I think the Mickey Roman fight was difficult. Because I, I already knew what it was going to be like and then to have to go through it, you know, it was uh, surreal. You know, you're like, at the end of the fight, you could tell it was a, it took a lot out of Tony because it was just such a hard battle. I think it was even tried, probably dominated for like five of the year. So, I mean, it was, uh, training for that fight was, was really difficult because I didn't have, you know, a lot of top-notch sparring partners at the time, which is why, one of the reasons why I didn't want to take a fight like that because I knew the level of sparring that I had the preparation for that fight. So, you know, Tony wasn't world champion yet where he can fly people in. The manager wasn't really willing to help. So I only had, uh, I think, a Saul, um, his last name, but, yeah. Uh, oh, you're talking about the kid from, yeah, from Durango, right? I had him in from Durango. He would come in. He had, like, six professional fights. And then, uh, and then our, the other two guys that I had were amateurs. So I had to, uh, do the best with what I can. So I would put the amateurs first and then put the pro guy at the end. So that way, you know, we'd get that hard work at the end while he was a little tired and, you know, had to think a little bit more at the end rather than, you know, okay, well, I got the hard guy out of the way so I can just play with these guys in the beginning. So that worked to a degree. You know, we won every round and it looked like we won every round in the, 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 the Roman fight, but you know, if I would, I, I feel like if I would have had better sparring for that fight, then it would have been a different story. But, and, you know, I, I did the best I could with what I had. Like when you you're bringing in sparring parts, say so you you couldn't fly anybody in. Does just being in a certain location, like you guys are in a, like a congested area with Phillies down the road, is yep. it easier that way? Where where we were at in far west Texas, where either nobody's real close or the people that are real close are just way different sizes or experience levels is yeah you remember we had to, we had to drive four hours four hours to albuquerque to get a few rounds of sparring yeah and here is that i didn't like uh even in the pandemic i still had guys from philly north jersey had delaware uh to be able to reach out and just grab at, at random you know at will just some reaching out to people to come in and uh and get as many as much experience as you want as many rounds as you want basically i mean that's it's a different world over here so uh, you know when i came here when i'm, when I'm here now i'm like i want to compete as much as possible i want to take these guys amateur and professional and just get on every card that i can get on because i didn't get that 
you know, when we were in Texas, we had to make and do what we have. Yeah, like we're living in El Paso. My brother who, who lives in Memphis was like, Hey, do I need a passport? I was like, no, I still live in America. <laughs> but, and a lot of people don't realize that El Paso is 12 hour drive from Houston, 10 from Dallas, nine from San Antonio. You know what I mean? So Albuquerque yeah. is the closest major city to to where we were at, which they yeah. do got a lot of, of great professionals up there in Albuquerque. It's yeah. the it's the actual boxing city in the whole area. So now that you're out on the East Coast, uh, you got your gym up and running. What are what's what's your plans for like the immediate future? You got a five year plan, ten year plan, or are you just taking it day by day? Right now, with the pandemic going on, I'm just taking taking it as it comes. Uh, I'm trying to see like as I, I mean, because I haven't been here for 25 years, and uh, boxing wise, I've only you know, little bits and pieces from when I would come and visit when my little brother would fight. So now that I'm here, you know, I have to do the same thing in El Paso, uh, here that I did in El Paso, just, you know, making contacts, meeting people, trying to understand, like, you know, where the work is at, where, you know, the promoters down here, you know, develop a relationship with them, you know, on Although over there in El Paso, I, you know, I had uh, Wayne Harrison who I would reach out all the time, and he would, you know, find me fights on different cards. And then I had, you know, Robert Diaz and the Golden Boy. You know, when when Tony was signed, they would give me slots, you know, to put my um, lesser experienced guys on. So it's just just translate from that over here is going to be, I guess, the challenge, trying to feel out everything here. And so. You're the oldest of the Rosario brothers. Yeah. And and your and your brother Nick is a trainer too and, and a damn good one. Uh do you find yourself watching him like, man, I'm still that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got his he's got his little style and you know, he, I see like us you know, little things that he does. And uh, you know, I I have come and you know, do this, do that. But you know, most of the time I try to give him a space. You know, let him work with his guys that way. He doesn't feel like I'm too overbearing on him or, you know, trying to critique him, you know, too much. You know, just, you know, let him do his thing. He ever told you, man, just back up off me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For the first couple of weeks there, he says, uh, I say I'm a professional ball buster, but, you know, being in the military, you develop. That just comes with the with the territory, right? <laughs> yeah, just I mean, just leave me alone, man. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's funny because uh, I'm pretty sure my all my siblings are like, man, just shut up. You know, <laughs> you don't know everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so you guys got you got amateurs, you got pros, and yeah. with your amateurs, you you. Are you guys attending these tournaments, or you just not yet, or what's going on there? I think I think we're trying to trying to get to these tournaments. Like uh, I have a kid who won the Sugar Burt Boxing Tournament last year, so you know he's trying to get around the competing. You know, after the pandemic and everything's opened up, but uh, you know we're just trying to get in there. But I think with the JLs coming up, like uh, or the Sugar Burt Boxing, I think one was in Georgia. And they only like limited that to people that live in Georgia. So I was like, well, that was out. 
So now we're trying to see if we can compete in, in the JOs um, down there. I think it's in Lubbock. Yeah, it's in Lubbock this year. Yeah, yeah. So and they've they got they've added some stuff to it too, man. They the their elites, uh, there's college, you know, youth, it's everything. So it's supposed to be big. These tournaments are big now, and um, you when you go to like say you're preparing for a tournament versus preparing for a smoker or a professional fight is there the planning different because you're fighting several days in a row or you you choosing a weight class a little higher than you would as if you're fighting as a pro because it's easier to make the weight over an extended period then tell me about that process there i think like the two of the the kids that we have now they're uh under the weight class that they're competing at so you know, they're uh, able to physically, you know, deal with these guys that are at that next weight class above. You know, it makes it a little easier making weight than dropping down in the lower one weight class. And you have to maintain that the whole week and not and try to be at your top performance. So uh, I think just preparing for that, just, just that, fighting bigger guys, and trying to, you know, maintain that level of, of ferocity from one day to the next. And of course, you got to you know mix it up because next guy, the next day is not going to be the same as the first guy. So try to have as many sparring partners as you can. And you being so heavily involved in the professional boxing, do you see where there's a correlation between amateur success and pro success? Or like I was telling everybody, I, I saw this discussion on the on social media where. Some coaches were saying amateur boxing so far gone from what professional boxing is now. Do you see it that way, or is there a correlation between the two? I think um, I think just because they changed, they tweaked the little things that they didn't realize changed so much about it. Like right now, there's uh, the safety gloves that they have have so much uh, cushion on it. That a lot of these guys they're not really sitting on their punches anymore because it's more uh going back to a tapping style but they're trying to but it's, it's not really there so i think that's and then uh the timing of it is different because when you're punching with those little practice gloves you know the regular gloves rather than the competition gloves that they have now that are bigger you know that just that little couple three or four inches and you know, the timing of it has changed. So I see a lot more guys not necessarily uh, sitting on a punch like a pro style, but they're kind of just, you know, tapping and, and trying to trying to control. It's, the ring generalship is good, but, you know, I don't see anybody really sitting on their punches like in a pro style. Well, I got a couple of little kids that I see at tournaments that you should watch that's really sit down on them. One of them's name is Nolan Huntley from Ohio. This kid's an animal. <laughs> this kid's an animal. Uh, the old, uh, yeah, he's just strong. He's just like a bulldog. I think he's gonna just be outstanding as as he gets older. You know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, I do I do see that too. Where the generalship is kind of their focus, uh, tapping away. There's a few guys that can really punch, but they just got like a god, uh, gifted yeah, yeah ability to punch. Yeah, knock out one punch, knockout power. It doesn't matter what kind of gloves you got on. Just that's yeah. going down yeah yeah you get them out of there um <laughs> yeah you know I, I wish a lot of people more people had that um so we're we're 
in your gym now, what is a typical day, say non-camp day for a new legends boxer? Um, usually they come in, stretch out, you know, they jump on the rope, shadow box, you know, jump on the bag. They try to alternate uh, bags, you know, like bigger bags, you know, you want to sit in the pocket and, you know, the lighter bags move around a little bit more. So you want to use your range and stuff like that. You know, then then try to work them through not not just a routine, but uh, like build uh, discipline in them. Like, okay, well, this this bag is for this because of, you know this situation happened. This bag is for this because this situation happened. To get them to be used to changing it up from round to round, from minute to minute, and you know, and then trying to trans trans translate that to to sparring sessions. So we we spar on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So they got every other day to try to hone their craft, and you know, and then try to use it in sparring. Like, and what is your feeling on mitt work? Like, I believe it's a teaching tool, and I do the flow drill when the camera comes around because that's what people want to see. You know what I mean? And every boxer kind of wants to be popular or famous, so that's what we yeah, do it yeah. for. And other than that, it's kind of just a teaching tool. Uh, how do you yeah. feel about the mitts and how it's taken off? So, you know, everybody do mitts, you know? Yeah, everybody do mitts. Uh, like, uh, you know, the, I I think I try to use, incorporate that with just the old style, old school style of trying to do positional, you know, and how, how it feels to land certain punches and transferring weight and stuff like that. So on Mondays, uh, I'll use the mitts just to, to focus on basics. And, you know, on Wednesdays, um, I won't even have mitts. I, I like to use just the noodle on the bag, kind of like Canelo and his trainer are doing now. And uh, I've learned, learned how to get away from doing mitts every day because I would do mitts, you know, four days of the week out of six. So I think uh, – and then Fridays, you know, I get into that flow type of thing where, you know, I started I started trying to develop my own style of, of a version of that because I want because I want to uh, I guess develop a you know a, a movement after before and after. So, you know, I'm trying to develop a, I, I've kind of got there with uh, I started with Tevin because I and he's left-handed so. That blew my mind when I was trying to learn right-handed, but then, you know, I ended up doing left-handed. I got that down real good. So now I'm doing right-handed, and it's becoming a little better. And I can teach that easily to like, the personal lessons. So they pick up right away. So it's not even, you know, the old traditional style was, you know, one one two, one two five. You know, they'll run the numbers, or they would say left right, left right left, and now it's. Um, I'm trying to pick it up where they're just constantly focused on the mitts and the position of the mitts is the, you know, what we call a combination. So, you know, I hold up one, they throw the jab, I hold up the other hand, it's a one, two, you know, then the, you shift it this way, it's a one, two and hook. And then make, and make variations there. Cause I think that's what uh, Mayweather did was he would just have uh Combinate locked in combinations that he would just randomly, you know, mix them up. So that I kind of learned that, and then I kind of came up my own style. 
where it's just a flow like that, but it's it's uh, more how I want it to be, and not as, as a slower pace, but fast. And over the years, what have you noticed in your evolution as a coach? You know, what what have you noticed different? This your either your decision making, your coaching. Me and you've been cornered before. I'm the loudest dude in the state. Yeah. You know, period. <laughs> Where as we joke around, like, man, that's whispers Rosario because he's super quiet yeah. and stuff like that. Like, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you ever like you just sit back and be like, man, I've come a long way from when I started. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, uh, like when I first started, I I was loud because I was trying to, you know, I I feel like if you really need help, I'm gonna yell at you. If you doing well in your own I really don't have to say much so I just you know it, it, you have guys out there that you know have to tell them second by second what to do and so really that the boxers dependent on you all the time to figure out what they want to do rather than like I say you know if I have somebody that I've worked on in the gym and they know exactly what to do what situations that I want to be able to just sit back and just hold the water bottle and then you know have work. them <laughs> right? you know give them all the credit without you know and then uh like i think uh i think it was the cornelius cornelius box fight everybody was you know because i did have to help him a little bit you know to keep his hand to tell tony to keep his hands up you know move his head stuff like that not necessarily what punches to throw because he know what punches to throw but on uh, just the basic defensive side part of it, just keep them in that in that mentality of it's not all offense. You know, you got to protect yourself too. So I've been on both sides of it where I've lost my voice from yelling, and then uh, the other time where you know they didn't really need my help, so I really didn't have much to say. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm losing my voice just walking in the door. I'm hype. Yeah. I'm yelling. That's just my personality in general. Yeah, so, you know, uh, at the beginning. Like I had a guy fight a couple of uh, weeks ago where I was constantly screaming at him because, you know, he wasn't doing anything he's supposed to be doing. <laughs> you know, I had to yell at him a little bit. Now, like, you ever have a fight where the, the boxer just everything clicked? You didn't have to really do much. You know what I mean? He just came in and, like, man, we had a good camp because he's doing everything right. Yeah. I think uh, there's a fighter named Saul Palacios. I don't remember if you remember Spanky. Yeah, I he remember was one Spanky. Of those guys. He Sunglasses was, he was inside. Yeah. <laughs> he was one of those guys where you're like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do with this guy, but, you know, we'll see what happens. His uh, first fight that he had, you know, was like, I don't know, it was, it was weird because he didn't look like when he was training. And when he fights, it's like a different story. So, you know, I think that was one of the times where we were like, dang, you know, everything, I didn't have to really do much. He just went to work. Oh, he you know, does he was, listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was 2-0, oh, you know, didn't have to say much. But, uh, you know, uh, I think, yeah, I think a lot of Tony's fights were, were decently like that but you know it was always that that moment where you had to be like you know you got to keep your freaking hands up you know it's getting 
try to hit with shots that you really shouldn't be getting hit with. Like in those longer fights, because Tony fought like 12, 10, 12 rounders quite often. Do you ever found like there's a point in a fight where focus just kind of goes away? Yeah, it's like um, if everything is going well, like, you know, somewhere in the middle of that, of that, you know, where he gets comfortable is when you're like, okay, now you're starting to get away from what you were doing. And I, you know, it was just like, a, I forget what fight it was. I think it was, um, let's see. I want to say that the Jose Andres fight. He was back, there was a guy that, you know, he was from Chicago. And he was, after he fought Tony, he started going on TV and fighting Rocky Waters. And uh, there was another a white kid at the time it was kind of like uh, hot for a little bit, but he never made it. But it was like that fight, you know, he was exchanging, getting the better of it, but he was he was having to work real hard to get those shots. It was like, you know, get, you know, it got to a point where he's taking shots he's not supposed to and dropping his hands. He's landing real good, but, you know, defense goes out the window. Yeah, sometimes he he got hit quite a bit, um, <laughs> uh, and he cut pretty easy too. He was a cut man's nightmare, man. Um, yeah, yeah, the hydrate, rehydrate, and how to do it. You know, you know, just skin gets thin. Yeah, uh, you ever seen like a like a point in a fight where you saw yourself lose focus? Like the fight is just so boring. It's like, oh. Get yeah. this guy out of there because we I'm tired, you know, I'm tired of watching this or Yeah, I think uh I think I think it was uh Saul's fight, this first fight with me that uh yeah, I got him a card uh, on the on Golden Boy card and, and it was a, a six rounder. But for some reason he couldn't really close the gap on this guy and the other guy didn't want to get hit. So it was kinda like what round is it? I don't know, but then you know, you lose focus on the round. What round is it? And then you're like trying to figure out, like, okay, well, I can't get my other guy to do this. The other guy doesn't want to participate, so he just kind of like crossed your arms. Like, all right, well, at least we're winning the fight. I think. But, you know, sometimes you gotta buckle down and say, okay, well, how can I get this guy out of there? You ever notice uh, fighters respond to different stimuli? Like, I got a nephew, Joey. Like, don't yell at him. Cause he gonna tell you, yeah. you better stop yelling at me, you know. Like, yeah. or some guys you you you've got to like yell at to get the point across. Yeah, I mean, some guys you gotta tell them, yo, grab your balls, go out there and do what you're supposed to do, you know, and and buckle down. Other guys, you know, they'll just kind of look at you sideways, like, you know, you're uh, like sometimes Tony didn't re- really respond well to that, you know, you know he wanted me to calm be calm down and, and you know talk to him normally but like in that Mickey Ramon fight it was like you know it, it kind of got away where we're I think like the seventh or eighth round when we started taking more punches than we should have and then uh you know so I'm screaming at him basically and and he's like you know telling me to calm down he's like calm down it's 
Do what I asked you to do and I'll calm down. <laughs> hey, man, chill out, dog. Just chill. We're just fighting. That's all we're doing. We're just fighting. Yeah. Uh, after, after the fight, says, you got to calm down in the corner. I was like, do what I asked you to do. And I'll call. Do you ever see that it, it happens that way in the gym and that's how they are in the fights where I have to yell at you in the gym to get you on task or it, it just it's in the moment. Hey, you know, you got to yell at him. Yeah, I mean, I think it all if, if the guy's getting punched in the face just because he's being lazy that day, you know, like uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Sepulveda, you know, sometimes it was a head case and sparring. It was like where he put his hands down and take punches just to take punches. Yeah, they never uh, made any sense to me. <laughs> so I, I, I just one day I just packed my bag and walked out out of the gym. I was like, you know, you get some guys like that. Just you know, they're uh, hard case, hard head cases. And those guys you got to you got to yell at. And then you have other guys, you know, like the Rodarte twins that were receptive just. You know, you didn't really have to yell at them that much. They just knew what, how to, you know, how to, how to go about listening and executing. You know, and their dad had them on a tight leash too. Oh, yeah, that was really strict. So, I always, I found it funny because I did work the Rodarte twins uh, corner at like the state jails or something like that, yeah. and they they shared everything. So one fought yeah. at one nineteen, the other one fought at one twenty five. And I was just in the corner of one of them at 119. The 125 was next. And I had to tell everybody, hey, hold on. They got to change. They, one, he had to take off his uniform. It was the reversible, I think. He flipped it to the other color, gave it to his brother, took off his headgear, put it on him. And then and then he took his mouthpiece out of his mouth and just shoved it in his mouth. I was like, yeah. let's go. Okay. I, I couldn't understand that because it was, it was not, I don't know if it was a bonding thing because it, it, this guy wasn't hurting for money at all. You know, he yeah. was well at an Olympic-sized swimming pool in his backyard. But uh, for some reason, you know, they had to share the headgear, the mouthpiece, you know, the, the even the sparring partners. They were like, okay, well, you could do two with one brother and then two with the other brother. I was like, just let that guy work for it and we'll get somebody else. Yeah, I know? remember I took Uriel over there and Joey over there. I was like, man, how many rounds are we going to do? And yeah. I'm the same kid, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was funny. I always tell that story because, you know, uh, now they have, you know, their own winning gear and all, you know, all good stuff. But, you know, it was, it was funny to see the Washington go through amateurs. Yeah, they're the relatively successful now. You know, they're doing pretty good. They got decent records as pros. Uh, they moved out to California. They're doing pretty good. But, yeah, that yeah. always tripped me out. Like, why are they? Come on, man. <laughs> when yeah, he really, took it out really. of his mouth, it was like I, I I threw up a little bit. I was like, man, that's gross. <laughs> like, that's what are you funny. doing, man? Yeah, it was so crazy, man. And that's, uh that's the only guy I've ever had like that. You know, never nobody's ever done that before but them. Yeah, that's so <laughs> weird. So, like, say, so those guys, you had them as amateurs and you go and see them have some you know decent success as a pro, and then you have some other guys. Have you ever seen it where a guy just doesn't work with you, you know, and then he's better off with somebody else or vice yeah. versa. It, he's just not working with this other guy and he's better off with you. Like, what do you do in those situations? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I mean, uh, I kind of experienced that a little bit right now. And, you know, it's where I'm getting guys that 
come in and uh, they're not used to working the way that I work or they're, I don't know, kind of waiting for me to say, okay, well, I'm going to train you. Uh, more, It's more like they come in and they're like, okay, they'll hit the bag and they'll kind of like expect you to go over there, you know, and hand them a, a, a training schedule. You know, like, I feel like, uh, you know, if, if you have that relationship or you start with a type of relationship, you should kind of come together and have like a communication, not just expect, you know, okay, well, this guy's going to train me and I'm going to go fight. Uh, you know, that has to be like a, a game planning, a scheduling, you know, an understanding. But, uh, you, know, and, you know, there's a couple guys here that I didn't get that the bond with so you know they're working with somebody else I'm like okay well maybe that's better for them you know to work with somebody else rather than you know expect me to just you know come and throw my trainer's hat on and be like okay well I'm going to train you now I'd rather have a 50-50 door where like oh, I need a trainer okay well, if you want me to train you I'll train you like that but you know there's guys out there that have you know, they have a bunch of fights already, but you know maybe it's, it's uh they need something other than than what I can give them. They need some like people come in and say, "Oh, I need somebody to push me." Boxing is really a self-motivated sport, so if I need to be pushing you every day, when it comes push time uh, comes time for push and shove, and you don't have that self-motivation that you know to, to bring yourself out of a funk. And, you know, it's like beating a dead horse. Do you see where the personalities matter? Some people's personalities just don't click. You know what I mean? Like, girl, yeah. in, in El Paso, like, I'm loud. That's just me. I'm a big dude. You know what I mean? And some people just like, man, I don't mess with Terry because just <laughs> the volume just don't high. You know what I'm saying? And then other, you know. Like my personality just it wasn't for a lot of people. There's, you know, I don't mean no harm by it. I'm not like a mean yeah, yeah. person. It's just I was in the Marine Corps, so like I learned my public speaking, you know, you know, <laughs> a certain yeah, way. That's just how I talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a hundred percent truth to that because you know, uh, my brother is a little bit more aggressive than I am. So somebody comes in off the street, and they don't, they've never, you know, had an understanding of what boxing is about. And you know, it's it's uh, if he starts yelling at you right, if he starts yelling at him right away, they don't take good to that. They're like, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't understand what you're doing. You know, maybe it might be better for me to have that person so I can, you know, try to get them to come to an understanding. Like he, he can sit there and hammer on on the same detail, you know, for hours and hours, but you know, somebody else might not be able to to have that patience with that person. We're like, okay, well, you're going to do it right the first couple of times to show you or you get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I tell everybody, I was just raised by 3-6 Mafia. That's what happened. You know what I mean? That's just, I'm crunk all the time. Uh, and so you, you have kids of your own. Do you put them in this sport or are you waiting on your daughter to be like, hey, I want to box? Or you be like, you want to box? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought my youngest was going to take to it, you know, but now she's in that girly, girly stage. She's doing her nails and stuff like that. But let's see if she comes back to it and it gets her, gets to come back to the gym. And, you know, if she wants to do it, I'll support her. And if not, 
you know, it is what it is. But, yeah. you know, like, they got a lot of girls boxing now, so that might yeah. be the push you need. Because I remember when I was little, like maybe one girl out of a fight a year, you're like, dang, man, there's a girl, you know what I mean? And then yeah. now it's like they got their own tournaments. Oh yeah, yeah, they 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 have, have, have a lot event. more people to look up to nowadays. You know, Clarissa Shields, Michaela Mayer, uh. Was I, you know, when Christy Martin and all of them were fighting, you know, it's, it's, I don't think it was as visual as it is. We didn't have social media at the time. So if you weren't a boxing fanatic or fan, you didn't know who those ladies were. Because they showed up on, you know, undercards with Mike Tyson, undercards, big undercards. And I mean, the big fights and those undercards were where the ladies were at. So now that we have social media and people are posting a lot, you see a lot of more girls holding holding pads now. A lot more uh, girls, you know, getting in these tournaments and winning championships and stuff like that, gold medals. So I think there's just a lot more. Uh, it's more on display now that you know girls can do this sport and be successful. At it. Now, do you social media? It's new. It's a new phenomenon. It's been around like maybe 20 years. Well, from what I understand, maybe 20 years. How do you feel about boxers and social media? Some of them got the, I guess they can hype themselves up so much. And some of yeah. them, the hype is real. You know what I mean? Like they can really fight a little bit, but there's other ones that like get yeah. off social media. You clowning, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. how you feel I think about it's, that? It's, uh, I think catfishing is what the term is. You know, you look one way and then the person is a different story, right? Um, I think social media is a gift and a curse at the same time. Like, you know, not to get political or anything like that, but, you know, let's see how uh, how, the, how the world has changed because of now. Because when you first started, you had TV. That was about all that you could see as far as, you know, people producing things. Now, and then all that was, uh, restricted by, you know, rules and regulations. You couldn't curse, couldn't, you know, show nudity. And now then they have the rating system and all that stuff. Now everybody's got a camera. Everybody can produce a show. Everybody can say what is really anything they want, you know, just by the certain guidelines that, that these social media websites have. But basically you can put it on whatever you want. So there's no you know, there's no restriction. You can, you know, put out there what you want to put out there. And, you know, people that follow you, you can, anybody can generate a large following and have a, a belief system. You could probably start a religion if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an Instagramist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, but as far as boxing goes, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a tool that, you know, can be used very well or if it's a tool that can be used to mask people's you know shortcomings I guess you could say all right with all that said uh, i don't want to keep you i see you was driving in the busy jersey <laughs> streets uh we should be safe out on the road but before i let you go you want to let everybody know how to get a hold of you on social media yeah you can follow me at eddie road 1995 on instagram or you follow our gym at new legends boxing uh, we're on Twitter also, uh, New Legends Boxing. 
and I'm still learning how to use all these social media websites you know, for years. <laughs> you know, I just if I uh, see you on TikTok, I'm gonna get mad. Like, man, what man, put your shirt I on, quit dancing. A, I just started a TikTok account, but I'm still learning how to use that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. <laughs> I'm gonna let you go. It was nice talking to you. I really appreciate you uh for spending your time with me, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, later. Bye.